0: Heavenly Father, we do come to you knowing that you are our solid rock. We know that the reason we gather is because you sent your Son into this world to take on human flesh, to live a perfect life, to die as the blameless Lamb of God, to take away the sin of those who will put their faith and trust in you. That's really why we have a Thanksgiving day at all. And Lord, as we hear from your word this morning and as we gather around your table, I pray that you would honor us with your help and presence, that you open our ears and our hearts to hear you and respond to you. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that you will be honored as our hearts and minds look to you with uh, gratitude and thanksgiving. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As you can see, we're uh, studying in these days, just started, uh, the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs. And just as a quick review, I want to remind you uh, what proverbs are. It's really important that you understand that, that uh, proverbs is a God-inspired collection of sayings that normally prove true. There are principles that if you follow in life normally prove true. And I explain that word normally in the latter part of the definition because proverbs are intended to provoke thought. They're intended to cause us to stop and think. That's the number one goal of a proverb, is to cause us to think. And the principle of the proverb will prove to be effective and true in your life if God so wills it. So in other words, I explained in the first introduction to this that the proverbs that say, if you will follow the path of wisdom, Your life will be full and rich, and you will not be wanting for anything. You won't be wanting for food. That normally proves true unless God otherwise directs. And we know numbers of cases of people who have lived godly lives, and even today perhaps around the world, that are suffering and are destitute because of the name of Jesus Christ. And for them, God has a better will and a better plan. I told you that it comes with a specific structure. It's just not a random collection of promises thrown into a box. It comes with a specific structure. There's a prologue and there's also an epilogue, both bookends of the whole, uh, the whole collection of sayings. And the prologue and the epilogue remind us the value of God's wisdom, and particularly Agur in the epilogue reminds us how desperately we need to get that wisdom from God. You know, you can, you can walk into a bookstore and have a, pick out a little cute sayings, little, little proverbial sayings, and they're nice, and they're nice to post on your Facebook account. But the truth of the matter is that we need help from God to understand these proverbs and particularly help from God to apply them. There's just not something that we can do in our nature. We need God's help. And then when we move in the proverbial collections, we find that there are four poems by a uh, person called lady wisdom it's a it's a female uh, personification of wisdom and and she 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 writes poems of wisdom and complementary to that is on the other end of proverbs is Lemuel's mother who gives Lemuel advice regarding the selection of a bride and what a what a pro, you you know what a proverbs 31 woman is And so you have these complementary elements on both ends. And then in the middle, you have ten speeches by a father to a son, and then with that, there's hundreds of other proverbs that all fit into different themes of diligence, industry, finance, uh, and so on. And in this series, I'm focusing on the ten speeches of the Father to the Son. The Father is speaking. And first of all, I want you to notice before we read the text, just a glance at verse 8. The Father is speaking in cooperation with the Mother. It's the father's voice you hear, but this is a mother and father speaking to a son. This is consistent. We often emphasize, and rightly so, that it's that God has ordained the father to be responsible for the home. But that is not to say that the mother has no responsibility. Throughout the book of Proverbs, when uh, there is advice given to a child, it comes from both mother and father. So this is a, you know, we could take all kinds of rabbit trails here, and I'll try to uh, stay away from that. But there should be a collective, cooperative teaching in the home by parents to the children. It is not just primarily one. At the same time, though, this is poetic literature, and this is Solomon uh, either uh, enacting or putting himself in the place of a father, and what would a father say to a son? But at no no time is this uh, moving the mother into a secondary role. You might wonder, then, if you constantly hear this phrase, hear, my son, your father's instruction, you might wonder that if you're a daughter here this morning or a daughter listening online, you can say, well, this is a great time for a snooze because just all the boys have to listen. And I would counsel you not to do that. Let me give you a number of reasons. Proverbs were written to... And we would never use this phrase in modern literature. Proverbs were written in verse 4 to simple ones. That is not a derogatory comment. The term simple ones means people who have not yet been taught. That is not a derogatory uh, comment. So the intention of Proverbs, in part, is to teach those who haven't yet been taught, regardless of gender. The word that Solomon uses in Hebrew is actually a word that is so huge and so wide, it not only means son, it can mean daughter, it can mean child, it can mean baby, it can mean infant, it can mean all genders. But we, we don't miss the fact that A man is speaking, voicing on behalf of his wife things to his son. That doesn't mean that daughters are excluded from these comments. And the father is collaborating with his wife, and it would not be wrong. In fact, I'll be doing this throughout, suggesting that the contemporary application of this is that this is instruction of parents to children. And so you'll hear me use that phrase more often than not. This is applicable to parents and their children. I get permission to do that because if we jump into the New Testament, a number of Proverbs show up in the New Testament, and under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the apostles had permission to reach back into Proverbs and apply it to the church. So therefore, that's my explanation and a reason why if you're a son or a daughter or a wife, this is for you too. This isn't just simply a dad and a son in the story. This series is going to apply to all parents and to all children. So let's read the passage, Proverbs 1, 8, 19. Proverbs 1:8 to 19: "Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, Come with us, let us lie in wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot among us. We will all have one purse. My son, Do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths. Their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird. But these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain and takes away the life of its possessors. I'm just going to simply walk through this with you. First of all, I want you to notice the appeal of the parents. The parent is saying, here, don't forsake. Don't forsake parental teaching." What would these parents be teaching their children? Is there some sort of inspired elevation to parents just because they're parents? The answer is no. These were godly covenant parents in Israel. And they first and foremost would have been teaching what we know as the Torah. They would be teaching the Word of God. They would be teaching the Bible. Their curriculum was clearly spelled out in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 to 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might, and these words that I command you shall be on your heart. Now watch this. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house. And when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and your gates. So the presupposition is that these parents are teaching the law of God, and they're doing it in accordance with the covenant God made with Israel and they would be teaching them there wasn't a formal class set aside and said okay kids get up have breakfast we're going to have now we're going to have religion class although there's nothing wrong with that these parents were constantly bringing the word of god to bear upon the lives of their children whether they're eating, whether they're moving out, whether they're going somewhere, they're walking, and they're sitting, they're laying down. What All they're doing is constantly, as the elements of life appear, they're applying it to the children. And the plea to the children, the appeal to the parents is, listen to it and don't forsake it. Don't turn away from it. In other words, be humble and teachable as we talked about the last time in the first part of the proverb, Proverbs 1. Be humble, be teachable, listen to mom and dad. When mom and dad teach you something from God's Word, don't forsake it. Don't turn away from it. You might wonder what kind of motivation the parents gave the kids. Was it candy or more money no, they look at verse 9. This teaching will be a graceful garland around your head and pendants for your neck. Now, every kid in church and listening online now is going, all right, I get to dress up like a Hawaiian dancer. No, this is poetic literature. And you have to follow the rules of poetry. Dr. Walke says that the garland that was worn and the pendants was worn, probably reaches back to the Egyptian culture where it signified victory. It signified vindication over enemies. It signified a good life. It signified self-control, a person who knew who they were. It signified a sense of prestige in society. So what are these parents saying to their children? As we teach you the Bible, listen, don't forsake, obey, and you will enter life with a sense of personal confidence and prestige that will look beautiful to culture. I've speculated a little bit on this. I don't want anybody to take anything to heart too much here, but you know what? you can almost tell a young person who has grown up listening to their parents. You can almost tell by the way they act when they're young adults. I'm saying that not authoritatively. I'm saying that as now a guy that's getting older. There's something wonderful and beautiful and valuable about a young adult, and you look at them, And you say, there's something different. And if you think I'm wrong, just think about the opposite. There is something terribly sad about the lifestyle of a rebellious, unteachable, proud young person. There's a sense of beauty to those who will choose to listen to their parents' teaching as they're taught from God's Word. There's something beautiful. They appear as people accomplished, self-assured, confident that how they're living is right. That's the appeal that the parents make to the children. And they say, listen to us. Why? Because there are other voices. There's the voice of the crowd that's calling to them. Do you remember what I read from verses 10 to 18? Come with us, ambush. Let's, take, let's grab the innocent. That's, uh, let's, uh, let's take them down into Sheol, into death, and swallow them up. Let our feet run for evil. To me, it almost sounded like a description of a gang. You get that idea here? It almost sounds like a description of a a mob, or maybe most of you are too young. This They kind of sound like the family of the godfather. Let's live life destroying people, plundering them, taking their life. Again, this is poetic language, and it's supposed to create in us the horror of not listening to mom and dad, and the lifestyle that awaits you. It's a lifestyle that I've called greed, and I get that from verse 19. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. Now, this isn't just mere greed. Like, I want to... Newer Xbox. I need the new iPhone that's coming out. That's, this isn't just that level of greed. This is a level of greed that wants something so badly you will do anything to get it, and it doesn't matter who you hurt to get it. You're no better than a mobster. You're no better than a gangster when you want something so badly That you will do anything to get it. Greed says, I want such and such, and I don't care how I get it, who I hurt to get it, I want it. Bullies at school are greedy for unjust gain. Bullies want recognition and they don't care who they hurt to get what they want. That's what this verse is talking about. Computer hackers. Computer hackers that break into your system and and take the information that they want, and they don't care who they hurt, who they compromise, who they violate. It doesn't matter to them. That's what this verse is talking about. So probably cut too close to home or in time, but politicians who just want what they want for themselves and they don't care about their constituents and they don't care about moral codes or the or or the law. Just they want what they want and they don't care who gets hurt. That's greed for unjust gain. And it's really no different than the godfather's kids. Are you hearing me? People who gossip about other people, they fall into this category. Gossip says, I want to say things that make myself look good in the context. I want to say what makes me look right in the context. And I don't care who I put down and who I hurt. That's greed with, for unjust gain. And, of course, we could go on. The point is that anything we desire and we're willing to hurt anyone to get it is what the author is talking about. He's saying, son, listen to your parents, because there's another voice out there that you're going to hear when you leave our home. And that voice is, if you want it, go get it. It doesn't matter how you get it. Are you hearing me? And greed, according to this passage, sucks the life out of its victims. When you are taken as a computer hacker, when you're slandered and gossiped about, when you're bullied, it sucks your life out of you. That's what this is talking about. This graphic language is talking about the fact that the victim gets, gets their life is sucked out of them. It's like death and murder. It's, it's, it's like an ambush. The picture here is like an ambush. You didn't see it coming. You were just in the playground playing, and you're having fun. And then all of a sudden, somebody for reasons that would make them look good and powerful, start bullying you. You didn't even know where it came from. It's an ambush. That's why this poetic graphic language is in here. It draws its victims into death. There's this dying that takes place in the life of the victim. But we're going to see before we end that it also destroys the greedy person. We'll get there. Why why would anyone listen to people who are bent on greed for unjust gain? Why would anyone listen? Well, if you notice what I read carefully, there's a promise of a common purse. There's a promise of a community. We shall find all precious goods. We shall plunder our houses. Throw your lot in with us. We will have one purse. This was written thousands of years ago, and yet it's true today. The gangs that operate in school, in our community, what do they offer as a promise? you got us. (laughs) Throw your lot in with us. We'll look after you. We'll protect you. We'll be your family. We'll care for you. Someone longing for acceptance, that's a wonderful promise. They don't find acceptance. They're longing for acceptance. They're longing for friendship. Well, look at what they're promising. They're promising me a community. They say they'll be loyal to me. They say they'll give me a family. But, beloved, it's a fake family. It's not a real family. This family will always let you down. So thirdly, then, the parents give a warning in verse 10. Please look at it with me. They give a warning in verse 10. These parents don't beat around the bush. They're not scared of saying, what is not politically correct. They say, son, these people are sinners. They're sinners. These sinners will entice you. They're saying that this greediness is sin. It's a violation of the character and the will of God. This type of greed says that God is not good. God is not, I can't be content with what God has provided. I have to go get it another way. That God is holding back from us. I want to have lots of money, so I'll get it my way. I want to have lots of friends, so I'll get them my way. I want to have lots of, lots of influence, I'll get it my way. Greed is a violation of who God is. Of course, now you can immediately see why I pressed on with this message, because it's the opposite of thankfulness. It's the absolute opposite of thankfulness. Thankfulness has a contentment to it. Thankfulness says, I'm thankful for what I have. Thankfulness says that God will not withhold, Psalm 84, 11, God will not withhold anything good from someone who is walking uprightly. But these people say, God's holding out on me. Let me ask you, Have you ever given in, and this might sound like it's going to children, but it actually involves every single person here. Have you ever given in to peer pressure or what we call today peer pressure? I want the acceptance of people, and I'm willing to do anything and give up anything and compromise anything to get it. Have you ever been so lonely? and so unhappy that you will look for love in all the wrong places? That's greed. Have you ever manipulated people to get what you wanted? Have you ever used people to get what you wanted? That's greed. Have you ever lied to people to make yourself look better? That's greed. Have you ever taken money from your parents? Have you ever taken money from the cash box at work? Have you ever stolen from the school lab? That's greed. Have you ever taken money from the government? Have you ever cheated on your income tax? Have you ever not reported income that you had? That's greed. I'm willing to do anything to get what I want. And it doesn't matter who I hurt. It doesn't matter who I offend. It doesn't matter what law I break. when I took time to reflect on our society, I think you'll see this. It's greed. It's greed that propels an unmarried woman to have a sexual relationship with an unmarried man. I will do anything to get what I want. That's greed. It's greed that draws a husband and or a wife into an adulterous affair. I will do anything. And it doesn't matter who I hurt to get what I want in a mother's womb. greed. I will do anything necessary to get what I want. And right now, I don't want a baby. So I'll kill it. It's greed that takes the life of a disabled or an aged person. They're taking up space in the hospital. They're becoming a cumbersome distraction to our society, so let's just get rid of them. Stepping on some toes out there, aren't I? It's greed. Listen carefully. It's greed that permits a man or a woman to disfigure their body so they can pretend to be a gender that they are not. Somebody should be saying, ouch, it's greed. I want it, and I don't care what I have to do to get it. What these parents want these children to know is that greed for unjust gain not only destroys and kills its victims, but it will destroy you. And now we're at verse 19. Here's the conclusion. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. Now watch this. It takes away the life of its possessor. Greed for unjust gain is self-destructive. And these parents are wise enough to teach their kids this. If you are willing to go for what you want, no matter what it costs, no matter what wrong you do, no matter what it hurts, child of mine, you will destroy yourself. That's what these parents want the kids to know. Such is everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It will destroy yourself. If if a person has any sense of desire to to be a person of, of honor and distinction, a person of accomplishment, a person who does well in this life, if anyone has any sense of that, you will stay away from unjust greed. You'll listen to your parents. You'll obey God's Word. It's interesting that there's a proverb within the Proverbs here. Verse 17, For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird. picture here is the way that they would hunt birds and they would set up a trap. And the proverbial author is saying, it takes a real dumb bird to see the trap and walk into it. What's he saying? It takes a real dumb kid to be shown clearly there's a better way to live life than just go ahead and walk into it and destroy yourself. This is why authors use poetry, by the way. You can say things in poetry you can't say from the pulpit. I just did, but... This is why poetry is used. If you're a child at home here in this auditorium, if you're still under the care and teaching of your parents, if you're listening online and still under the care and teaching of your parents. I'm telling you, you're as dumb as a bird walking into a trap knowingly than to turn away from their teaching and think you can do it better your own way. Let me be clear. You will destroy yourself. The most basic lesson from this passage kids, is don't listen to the wrong voice. You have the voice of your parents and you have the voice of the world. Decide this morning, before God, I will follow the teaching of my mother and dad as they have taught me the Scriptures. Make that decision today. If you don't, you'll destroy yourself along with others in your path. We have been given in this part of the Proverbs a picture of a path of sin that leads to death. We've been given a picture in this Proverbs of a a heart and an action that is prepared to take life to get what it wants. There's a different voice that comes from Jesus. Jesus. It's a voice that says, the thief comes to kill and to steal and to destroy, but I have come to give life and life more abundantly. Whose voice are you going to listen to, children? Do you listen to the voice of the thief and be destroyed, or do you listen to the voice of Jesus who promises abundant life? Parents, as I conclude, teach your children. Teach your children the Word of God. Teach them through your conversations, everyday life. Apply the Word of God to all things as they encounter them. Teach them by your example of not leading a life of greed for unjust gain. My appeal this morning is teach your children the voice of Jesus who promises life. And young people, it's a real simple appeal to you this morning. Listen to the voice of Jesus. The voice of greed will take you to death. Death the voice of Jesus will bring you to life. Perhaps someone here this morning, as I certainly would, you're here this morning and you feel guilty. Perhaps like me, you are a kid that grew up listening to the voice of the world and not the voice of your parents. Perhaps some of these behaviors of greed that I spoke of so clearly have hit home with you, and you feel guilty this morning. The good news is Jesus came to take that guilt on himself so you don't have to bear it. John, the apostle of Jesus, said if anyone confesses their sin, he is faithful and just to forgive you your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. There's forgiveness for those of you like me who thought I could live life on my own terms and succeed. There's cleansing if you're here this morning and you feel guilty. I would hate for you to leave this place or shut down your television at home and remain in guilt for how you've lived. Maybe for the first time you realize now there's a sentence that describes how I've been living. I've been living a life of greed. Wanting what I want, and I don't care how I get it. There's forgiveness for that. There's healing for that. There's a promise of no condemnation for that. If you will repent of your sin... And forsake it. If you will repent and forsake it, there is complete and total forgiveness in the cross. And the promise of the new covenant that we celebrate at communion is God says to all who trust in him, I will remember your sins. What? No more. If you feel a level of guilt this morning, I plead with you, don't live with it. Come to the cross. Come to Jesus. He will receive you. He will take you with open arms. And he will accept you and he'll give you life. Will you pray with me? Thank you, Heavenly Father, that there is forgiveness with you. Thank you that There is cleansing and pardon for sin. I pray, Lord, that all who would listen to my voice this morning would hear your voice calling them to repent and believe. Believe that you took their greed and bore it on the cross, suffered eternal damnation for it, and on the third day you rose again, promising eternal life to all who trust in you. Lord, heal that listener this morning that is overwhelmed by sin. Give them assurance of forgiveness. And give them joy to live from this day on seeking to obey you and walk the path of wisdom. Lord, grant to us as a church, as we gather in this place, a solemn joy a glorious and a glad gravity as we think again about the price that Jesus paid for our forgiveness. May your presence be known and experienced as we do this in Jesus' name. Amen.